0: Hey, this is Dan Quiggle with Episode 2 of Garage to Goliath, Leaders Building Legacies Podcast. Today's interview is with Dan Zaranandia. Dan is an example of a leader who delicately balances leadership of a family business, employees, clients, his own immediate family, his mother, sisters, brother, and all family members involved directly and indirectly with the business. So let's explore how he does it. How do you make everyone happy, if that's even possible, and run a successful company? So imagine getting to speak around the world, meeting the most successful, positive leaders, then getting to choose from that group. That's what my show is about, learning from the best how to be your best so that we can challenge ourselves to lead with purpose, impacting lives and communities. Hi, I'm Dan Quiggle, and welcome to the Garage to Goliath podcast, where we learn, lead, and leave a lasting legacy. So today is fun for me. I get to introduce a true lifelong friend. We were roommates at UCLA, by the way, the best school in America, and have been friends ever since. I will argue I'm Dan's best friend, but I sometimes have suspicions that he sees other friends on the side. Here is a guy that took over the successful family business, took it to new levels his father probably never even dreamed of. Why should you listen and care? Because today you get to hear from a successful leader, a family business that has found a way to grow, to get along, remain a cohesive family, and add value to every member of that family. I am joined by Dan Zaranandia. Dan, uh, born and raised in Thousand Oaks, California, graduated from UCLA in 1990 with a BA in political science, has an MBA from Pepperdine University. He now runs Precon Products from 1983 to today was the president of the California Precast Concrete Association from 2006 to 2010 and currently serves on the board of directors for the association. Precon Products is a second-generation family-owned operation um, founded in 1963. Dan, a business leader, husband, father, and I am so fortunate to call a personal friend. Dan Zaranandia, I know who you are, but for our listeners who may not know the whole story, who are you and what do you do right now?
1: Well, like Dan Quiggle said, I'm Dan Quiggle's best friend. He's my best friend, and uh, yeah, I'm uh, one of the owners of Precon Products, family company, and um, we, our company, manufactures concrete products and pipe. We just recently opened up a Northern California branch near Fairfield, and uh, we're excited about the future.
0: Yeah. So. It is fun to watch your success, especially taking the company from, from one point where your dad left it and to where you have it today. I'm sure he would be so, so proud. Uh, you know, in the poem, The Station by Robert Hastings, he says, there is no one station, that the journey is the joy. So can you describe for me and our audience the journey that you took to get to where you are right now in life? And if you don't mind including the answers to some of these questions, like, did you want to go into the family business at first? You know, what led you on that path?
1: well uh, growing up it was a family business and I spent a lot of time with my father as a young uh, boy going on crane trucks and delivering product throughout Southern California and um, so I was exposed to it at a very young age uh, when I was in high school I didn't see a future for me in the family company I thought well it's a pretty small company it can't you know sustain other family members and so I' went off to UCLA with the full intention of possibly going into law school and becoming an attorney or working on Wall Street. And in 1990, when I graduated, uh, the family company was going through some struggles. My father passed away in 1987, and that was a 1990 to 93 pretty severe recession for our industry. And I got a call uh, one day. I was in Spain working on an import-export company and got a call from a family member and was asked if I could come back to help uh, guide the company. And um, so I came back and been back ever since. So we managed to get through that 90 to 93 recession. And a lot of that uh, I credit to coming in from the outside and having a a very different perspective than um, the people that were here, maybe not seeing some other avenues for growth.
0: Uh, that's that. That's an interesting. That's an interesting perspective. You know, you 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 know, it's kind of the double punch, right? I mean, your, your father gets sick and and eventually passes away. I remember I was there for that time. What a tough time that was on the family and everyone. Um, you know, hearing about how that affected everyone, and then also then this recession. So, if you don't mind, I remember you telling me a story about your father, kind of passing the torch and and introducing you to some of the clients before he. Um, You know, had eventually passed away. Do you mind sharing that story? I know that's probably even hard to talk about. But if you don't mind,
1: there could be a a funny side to this. I've learned this later in life, having my own kids. Um, I would spend a lot of time with my father uh, in the summer times, going on, uh, going on the crane truck, and and you know, four in the morning, getting up and making these deliveries. And I genuinely thought my father wanted to spend time with me, but I realized later I was too much of a handful at the house. (laughs) So it was his way of, uh, giving my mom a break. But, but a a lot of that interaction with my father, seeing him interact with other business people, all types from, uh, the person digging the ditch, uh, to the banker signing the loan documents. I I saw him interact and how he treated people and how he was well liked and respected. And, um, how he he had a very enjoyable life and and he liked life, and I remember thinking at the time that's that's how I want to uh, live my life.
0: But Dan, but Dan, remember remember when you said that he wanted to introduce you and your brother David, who were kind of leaders of the company that he saw, and he took you around to the clients, and he would, you know, he had almost no energy left. He had kind of fought the good fight, but wanted to kind of pass you off and would take you into some of these clients and. He'd say, All right boys, let's go and walk in and say, Hey, look, I'm I'm kinda not feeling well. I need you to take I want your word that you're gonna take care of my boys and would introduce you and then all and then he'd get back to the car and, and he would just you told me you'd just pass out.
1: Yeah, there there was um yeah, I remember one, one occasion where he was uh really down and out and uh, we were having to visit the bank uh for there were some loans and he put on his glasses and got out of the car and I thought, boy, I'm going to have to like help him walk in. And he, he walked into the bank and immediately got a bounce in a step and came to life like I've never seen, uh, before. And, um, in that lesson there, I, I learned that so much of uh, what you deal with day to day is it's your attitude and, uh, you can, you know, you can dig deep and look at the bright side and be positive. Um, but, um, yeah, the, the lesson learned there is uh, not to focus on your ailments, um, to focus on the the good things in life. Uh, but he, he did make a point of, um, taking us around to key customers and introducing us. And, um, and, and that came from him having a, an interesting experience where he went to a business meeting, uh, in the early eighties, a few years before his death and um every, the the main point of that was secession and making a company work without you, and not not to have the ego where you feel like you have to be there for everything and nothing can be accomplished without you, so yeah, we really valued uh him being able to entrust us with running the company,
0: yeah. Yeah, no, and he and I'm sure he he knew that it was in good hands because of the way that he he raised you and your mom raised you. You know, I just recently heard this proverb: "Those who forget their why's, like why do I do things, will lose their way." What is your big why? What motivates you even when times are tough, and why? You know, it motivates me are the people
1: that have um, chosen to spend their time here at at Precon Products. And uh, we have a lot of long-term employees. We had somebody recently retire after forty-five years of uh, service. And um, and if you think of the bigger picture of everybody that relies on, you know, this company and 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 everybody coming together, that's that's reason enough to to keep putting the effort into a company like like our company.
0: Yeah, it's neat. You you really do get to affect lives of. You know, not, not just your own family, your, your wife, your kids, and extended family, but, but those of others. And that's, that's a really neat perspective, Dan. And I appreciate that. And I know that of you. So that's why I think I appreciate it even more. You know, one of the greatest coaches of all time, John Wooden, from our alma mater, by the way, UCLA, again, one of the best schools in America, if not the best, let's just say the best. Uh, John Wooden, at, when you walk into the Wooden Center at UCLA, 20 feet tall, all in gold, the Wooden Pyramid, and it has words on there like loyalty, confidence intentness, friendship, poise, competitive greatness. If you had your own wooden pyramid, what values would you include on it? Give me a few of your personal values you found have served you well in life.
1: Uh, personal values, I think critical is honesty. And um, because it's, it doesn't take long to ruin a reputation, but if you can build up a reputation of your yes being your yes and your no being your no, uh, that's, that's very critical. Um, I would say another... Uh, another component would be um, humility, and that's a that's kind of a strange one, but I think it served us very well here. Um, it's there's a Bible verse: consider others better than yourself, and you think that doesn't really make sense in today's world. But it, what it gives you is that pause to consider others and listen to others, and um, and so that. You know, you look at the success of precon. When I came back to precon in tough times, my first thing was to go to some of the key employees and ask them their opinions of what was going on and what they thought should be done. And if I came in with an arrogant attitude, <clears throat> I probably wouldn't have gotten some some of that great feedback that saved the company.
0: Well, I think there's there's value in that too because first of all, they know best, don't they?
1: Yeah. They were here when yeah, throughout. They were here the whole time. Well, I, I was away for a couple of years and and uh, didn't see exactly what's going on day to day. So they had that
0: experience. And just just to have that institutional knowledge and then match that with you know new great ideas. I mean, they both can be heard and and implemented. And I think that's great that you that you recognize that. And I think there is there is this idea that I need to come in and kind of you know put my immediate mark and change things up and mix things up and show who's boss. And I just don't think that's probably the best, uh, best way, do you?
1: No, yeah, d- definitely not. That, that, that's, um, that's an ego that's probably gone astray, uh, somebody that feels the need to do that.
0: So, so another sage piece of advice I love is that which you gaze upon, you become. So what do you spend your time thinking about? What do you daydream about?
1: You know, I, for, for the company, I, I read a book uh, when I was at UCLA about Andrew Carnegie, and his success. And it, it, a lot of it was, um, small improvements day to day. So always asking yourself, is there, you know, why, why are we doing this, uh, through, through steps, just in different, uh, processes. And, um, so if, if you ask yourself that and look for small improvements to try to strive to just be better continually and, and, And my father always always used to say, too, don't get too comfortable. And a lot of times we know something that needs to be done, uh, but for some reason there's there's a hesitation. But I think that ability to challenge yourself to do what you know needs to be done or is uh, right—that's something to keep in mind.
0: You know, I'm always interested in this question, but I'm you know just would love for you just from the you know shoot from the hip. What 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 is your dream job in life? If money wasn't an issue, what would you be doing? And, you know, what would, you know, rock star, what, what would it be? What would your be your dream job? I'm just so curious. Uh, dream job for me would, sounds kind of strange. I think I'd like to be a history teacher at UCLA. Really? Really? And, you know, you'd be so good at it because I know you love history and both of us do, but um, no, that's great. I mean, and, and again, there, what, what? why would you want to be that person?
1: You know, I, I, like, I like stories, and, and history is a story, and, um, and I think that there's a lot of value to history in informing us today, and there's a, there's a lot of wisdom in those stories that need to be uh,
0: retold. You know, Dan, I was speaking in, in Atlanta to a bunch of CEOs and I finished and the guy gets up and he goes, hey, what did we witness here today? And he goes, Dan Quiggle's a storyteller. And then he said the most interesting thing. He said, I encourage all of you, all of you as owners to go back and tell more stories at your business with your families about success, about failure, because they may not rec- you know remember the, the points, but they'll definitely remember the stories. And that's what I love about what you just said right there. I think that's think Yeah, that's I remember
1: we, we worked together at uh, President Reagan's office and Reagan was a storyteller and when he would tell a story, uh, there would be a point to it, uh, and it would really stick with you.
0: No, I, I agree. I agree. So, hey, and, and we, you know, th- again, I didn't even bring that up, but we had a chance to work together and and, and be in President Reagan's office right after he left office and to be there and, and witness him. And I don't want to build up our positions too much because we would do whatever they asked us to do. But, you know, just to be in that room and just to be part of that and see what leadership looks like. I mean, that definitely impacted us, didn't it? Oh, yeah. And he really was. He was a humble man, and uh, even you, what you consider
1: the lowliest person uh, that the world would consider, Reagan would spend the time to focus on that individual and uh, consider everybody as important.
0: Yeah, and, and then I always say when, when you do that as a leader, when you really care about people, when you really invest in people, what do they want to give you? They're what? Yeah, their absolute best, not because they have to, because they want to. And there's a difference. You know, Dan, I've always admired you. You speak fluent Spanish. First, how and why did you learn Spanish? And how has it served you in your personal and, and business life?
1: Yeah, when, when I was a, a child going around with my father on the, on the crane truck, he spoke Spanish uh, with, with many of the laborers in the field. And, um, and I saw that the people installing our product or really really working with it, uh, many of them were Spanish speakers, and it gave my father the ability to connect uh, with the people that were key to our success. And uh, growing up, I would be in the middle of a conversation, and my father would start speaking Spanish with somebody, and I feel, felt a little left out. And so um, the year my father passed away, about three weeks after he passed away, I ended up going to Spain for a year through the education abroad program at UCLA. And, um, I remember being determined I wanted to be bilingual and, uh, and that is really, um, I think that's a key to our success also at Precon is that ability to connect with every employee.
0: I love that. And, and again, you know, when you connect with them, then you can hear what their concerns are. You can, you know, dream with them and, you know, talk to them about the future and set, create the vision for the company. So no, I, th- I think that's great. What keeps you up at night? How do you deal with that? In other words, you know, do you have any concerns for the future for America for your kids? What keeps you up at night? Oh, boy. Uh, for uh, not not too
1: much. I, I think, um, I think you got to be able to separate the concerns, especially the professional concerns from your private life, you have to be able to to move on when you get home or else you'll, uh, yeah, you you might make life miserable for yourself and everybody around you. Um, but for, for pre-con for our country, some of the concerns I have, um, would be just the growth of, uh, bureaucracy and the difficulty for the complexity of managing a company through the, the, the continual increase in bureaucracy that, that's one concern, uh, for pre-con itself, maybe being in California might be a little different just because of our business environment here. A lot of companies want to leave the state, but, um, for California, it's probably a lot of the legal liabilities and exposure, uh, which is tough for, a you know, privately held company. Um, so those are a couple of the things that, uh, concern me, but I try not, to. Uh, well, on that too
0: much. Well, you know, it, it, it's interesting because you want to play on a play, uh, level playing field, but that's the one thing that you really can't control. You can try to deal with the market and deal with everything else, but you know, when people change the rules mid, midway, it's just hard to, to adapt. And I think that's a big, a big frustration of business owners in California and, and in America in General is, is the regulations. So I feel you, my friend. <laughs> I understand what you're going through. You know. For our audience, when I say you run a family business, this is not just you run your own business and it affects you and your immediate family that you have with jenny and and but your your family business involves members of what we consider extended family. So your sisters and their families, um, you know one works for the company, one doesn't, but everyone is kind of involved. your brother, his you know his family, your your mom. How do you disconnect from the business at family gatherings? how do you how do you escape it or do you? You know um, we at family gatherings, there could be a tendency
1: to want to talk about uh, the company, but i'm I'm aware that um, not everybody wants to to hear that, so I think you in in going to family functions you 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 really have to make the effort to turn that off. Um, there's plenty of time to work on the business while you're at the business it It's not necessary to continue the discussions uh, when you're at a dinner party and with family members present.
0: So I'm going to give you, I'm going to, I'm going to drill deep a little bit there. So does it work? Boy, it depends who you ask. Uh, Can you, I mean, can you, can you escape from it? I'm asking. I, I can. I think that, um,
1: you know, it's, it could be always with you, but I think it's important to make people aware. Sometimes somebody will so badly want to, talk about some some event at the at the company but you have to remember for for others they're they're excluded from that and so i think you just need to be conscious of um other people's uh you know feelings and their time too
0: so yeah so so and and i pre- so so many people there they're, they're going to be a lot of listeners that run family businesses are a part of them some because they wanted to some because they have to and this is a big issue. I mean, when I speak around the country to CEOs, I mean, you know, how do you how do you make it successful? How do you make everyone happy? And I've just I've been amazed over the years with your success with your family because everybody seems to get along. What advice do you give other family run businesses?
1: You know, we we've been fortunate um, for you know for for, for Precon. I mean, there could be other factors. It could be that our, our ages were for fairly. Um, you know, we're three years apart and seven years apart. And so we don't, uh, there could be some other factors there that I'm not you know, too sure of. I'm not a psychiatrist, but um, oh boy, Dan, I got to think of that a little bit. Um, you know, I, I think it's just really focusing on, on being well-rounded and if, if you become too, I guess the term is chaotically intermeshed uh, with family members or even with with, uh, you know, your employees. If you if you hang out with employees after hours, um, that's just maybe not a healthy way to move
0: forward. And um, so. But you do hang out with each other sometimes, don't you? I mean, you know, um, we're, we're all fairly
1: different and uh, we're all fairly. Um, you know, my brother's seven years older than I am. My sister's 10 years older. So we're all in different family stages. Uh, so we'll, we'll hang out together at family functions, but uh, you know, the time spent at the company uh, is considerable. So, so maybe, maybe we get uh, enough of each other just being here at the company.
0: Yeah, and, and, to, and to protect you, Dan, during this, I mean, the love that you share for your family is uh, oh, unbelievable. I just want you to know. Oh, yeah. I'm throwing that out there just to protect you. And, and the, success, <laughs> the
1: success has been the different um, skills that we all bring to the table. And, um, yeah, you couldn't have um made for a better arrangement with the skill set,
0: yeah, everybody, everybody has seemed to add to add different different value to the company, and that's great for, for in all you know, for everyone, including your mom. I mean, just from a leadership perspective. So no, I, I think that's great. I think that um that you've given some good advice there. so let's let's talk about leadership for a second. I want to talk about some general leadership advice, and then I want to drill down specifically into into your business precon products. But my goal in our time together is to give the listeners some food for thought on how to expand leadership excellence in their own life. Can you explain what is your personal leadership style or philosophy? Like, how did you develop it? Like, how would you describe it? You know, I, I, I'm
1: not a real authoritarian. Um, I think the view is I, I have the confidence in the people around us um, and the people that we've hired uh, that they genuinely um, have the interests of our company at heart and that their behavior over many years has proven that. And so I'll usually um, allow them to move forward in the way that they would like to move forward and then give them the tools necessary to make, make it successful. Now, a good example is Northern California. We, um, about three years ago, I uh, threw the MBA program at Pepperdine, uh, I realized that we had to open up a Northern California facility. So I went up and found a nice piece of land, nice building and um, hired the right people that were proven uh, to run it. And I, I I had a pretty good idea of what was necessary to make that successful. So we were able to fund it and put the right equipment in and then um, basically cheer them on. And uh, they've had great success uh, for that operation. So I think part of it's, it's, it's being a coach and cheering people on when they're going the right direction. When we've had, uh, difficulties, um, you know, you have to kind of search, is this the right person to be managing this or, or working at this? And sometimes, you know, we've had to make tough decisions in the past, like every company, and you have to be willing to make those decisions for the good of the whole.
0: And, um, you de- we we definitely are only as good as the people we surround ourselves with, aren't we? Yeah, that's yeah. I, I had a meeting with our
1: Northern California branch about three weeks ago, and um, we're kind of celebrating some of their successes. And I, I said the the difference, you know, all the companies can have the same equipment, the same trucks, the same cranes. The difference is the people that are running all that, and those people that connect with the customers. And um, if they're you know, fully on board and uh, loyal to each other, and it's not just loyal to to me or Precon; it's it's loyalty to each other. Uh, then together, uh, they can create a great future.
0: Yeah, no, that's great. It's true. It's true. You got to create the vision. Create the vision. Get everybody on the on the same train, on the same track, heading in the right direction. So, can you tell me a story or two in your life where you weren't leading well, and maybe you said to yourself, "I have to change this so that I can lead better"? Uh, yeah, one we had a conversation about, uh, I, it was one of those situations
1: where there was a, a, a fairly difficult employee that started, um, just, uh, not, not really performing well and, and ended up causing, um, some decision within, uh, the organization. And I remember, uh, Dan Quiggle said, well, what are you going to do about that? And, um, <laughs> for, for a while I, I made excuses and then it, you know it took some some prodding to realize uh, this individual is making it difficult on the rest of the company, and that that my concern should be more about the others at precon um, that are having a difficult time performing because of uh, one employee so something that um, maybe I could have led better to avoid that employee having difficulties but uh in the end, uh, we had to move the employee along and, uh, and the immediate, uh, change of pre-con, uh, it was noticeable. People started talking with each other again and, uh, a cloud had been removed, uh, from the company. So a lot of times I asked myself, what did I do to get into that position? Could that have been avoided? And why didn't I make decisions to remove that uh, problem sooner?
0: Well, and and you listen. You're not the only one. I mean, people do that all the time. I guarantee their listeners right now that are running businesses that are you know going through their head, picking out the employees they they think they probably need to remove. The thing is, we get complacent, and they're probably good at their job. That's the that's the thing. The problem is, they just can't get along. They're just nasty. They just you know offend people. They are you know make people upset on a regular basis, and so. You know, but once it's like a cancer eating away at a body and and eventually you have to cut it out. And it's and and by the way, there's no power in that. A matter of fact, it's our fault, isn't it? Because it's one of two things. We either hired wrong or we don't have enough business to keep them. Which one is it? But yeah, so it's our fault.
1: Yeah, that gets me back to the hiring. I I was telling somebody the other day, I I think for hiring in the future, I think the most critical uh, personality trait is um, just just, uh, contentment in life. Basically, if somebody's not content, uh, they probably will prove to be, uh, in the long run, maybe not a good employee. So I think that personality trait uh, is critical.
0: That's so interesting. Yeah, because if they don't like themselves or like their situation or like their position in life, it's, you know, you, you can't change those things for them. Uh, you can try to influence positive things in their life, but but it does start with attitude. So, okay, this leads into this, and I don't want that answer to influence this next question because I want you to really think. So we talked about your wooden blocks, and I want to keep those separate because that's for you. And you talked about kind of in the hiring what you look for, but let me ask you this question, and, and this, this is one of my favorite because I'm, I'm trying to learn here this myself. Describe the one trait that you look for in your top people and why.
1: Oh, boy um I think the, the one trait that would separate yeah there are a few different traits but I'd say the the one trait really uh, to me is that um you know are they are they generally a satisfied person uh, with their situation in their life if, if somebody comes to me and feels that they've somehow been wronged or they just have been passed over, or things haven't gone their direction. That usually uh, my alarm bells go off, and I think that's probably going to be a, a problem. So I, I look at people that have confidence in themselves in the future.
0: Yeah, I so say that's confidence. Probably, it.
1: yeah, confidence in their self in themselves in the future.
0: Yeah, I love that, and that's actually one of the um, one of the wooden uh, wooden blocks, I believe. And 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 I will say this: it's not a cockiness, is it? It's, no. it's it's a confidence because we all make mistakes, but just understanding that hey you know let's just try not to make that mistake twice. So I love that one because because I, I do think you have to believe in who you are and what you do and you know where you're headed. So, what is your strategy to effectively create a vision for the people and teams you lead? How do you, how how did you learn to effectively create a vision? for others to follow? Yeah, you know, I, I think it's, it's
1: interacting uh, with the employees on on a regular basis and letting them into my, my goals for the the overall strategy for pre-con products and uh, showing them that I invested in the future of this company and I'm here for the long run. Um, I, I, I see a lot of uh, family companies where People feel uh, maybe burnt out or they, they lose the interest or the drive. And, um, and I've seen uh, companies uh, falter for that. And so I think showing the confidence in the future and that they're a part of that and together we're, we're creating this story here at Precon, I think um, brings them along.
0: You know so many, so many leaders talk about goals, and then I'll say, "Well, who knows the goals in the company?" and they'll say, "Well, I do, and maybe uh, you know a few members of my leadership team do I'm like, "Well, then apparently you don't need the other people then because if you know don't you want everybody to not get out of bed, pop out of bed, and the only re- way they're going to pop out of bed is if you create a vision that they believe in where they feel like they're some you know they're involved in something bigger than themselves, bigger than the company, bigger than the organization
1: yeah and and I think the immediate goal here is you know I, I remind people that um that we're, we're here in this market for the customers. Ultimately it's developers, property owners. If, if we don't do our job for them to make them successful, then we're going to start to lose out. So ultimately I say, make the decision in the moment, you know, you shouldn't be asking me every time, Hey, what should I do? What should I do? You know, the ultimate goal and I have the confidence you'll make the right decision. And for the most part, most people are going to be on the same page in what to do in, in a given circumstance, and uh, as long as you have that vote of confidence in them, and, n- and you're not second guessing them, as long as you give them the opportunity to explain why they've made a decision, um, then I think you get good performance.
0: No, that's that's great. So, so Ronald Reagan had a kitchen cabinet, a group of trusted friends, advisors that you know he believed. Could give him solid advice. Uh, you know, they had a shared vision, success-oriented, brutally honest. I believe there is power in having successful peers. Dan Zaranandia, who is in your kitchen cabinet?
1: Oh, boy. You want me to, to name them?
0: Well, maybe just, I mean, give me a couple names. Who's, who's in it?
1: Oh, boy. I'd say, uh, obviously, Dan Quiggle. <laughs> nice. Uh,
0: <we> <laughs> I appreciate that. And Dan Z, you are definitely in mind. You know that. We talk probably two, three times a week for 24 years.
1: No, a lot of uh, yeah, good, good advice over the years. Uh, Michael Warren. Uh, he's, uh, I've known him probably since 1989.
0: Oh, come on. Tell, tell everybody who Michael Warren is because it's the coolest thing ever, isn't it?
1: Uh, he, he was the uh, producer for a lot of uh, TV shows in the 80s. So Step-by-Step, Family Matters, Growing Pains.
0: Plus, wasn't he a writer for Love Boat and Happy Days? Uh, Love Boat, Happy Days, yeah. yeah. So I mean, A lot, I mean, lot of wisdom there and a storyteller, too. Um, so and by the way, Michael Warren and the Warren family helped lend me money for the my first business because of you. Um, we, I had met them through you, and and they served as bank and would and would lend me money. And I always took pride, hopefully, that I've not only paid them back, but I paid them back with interest on time. Hopefully, I was never late in a payment. And so much so that I remember one time they called me and said, "Do you need any more money, Dan?" Which I was so excited about. Because they knew that, um, I, you know, I would pay him back and I took it very seriously and I really appreciate them taking a risk with me. So, all right. So Michael Warren, who else? You know, and, and, another, another source, and this is sometimes overlooked,
1: um, a couple critical suppliers of our company, um, that have a lot of wisdom that have been in the industry for a lot of years and I've developed, you know, close friendships with them. Um, yeah, Keith Dart, as uh, a gentleman up out of Oregon, I've known for about 15, 20 years, but, uh. So he can give a perspective um, within the industry. Yeah, and, he, and a lot of these, so that's something that I think a lot of companies overlook. That they consider a supplier as somebody they need to um, be hitting over the head to get a, a break on a price. Where I, I tend to look at it a little differently is together with the supplier, if they're, if they're loyal to Precon and really working with us uh, together, we can both benefit.
0: That is great advice. I'm so glad you even said that for me. I mean, that's just a different perspective, isn't it? You know, I I do think that Ron Bailey, uh, you know Ron Bailey, you've heard me talk about he, he, I had a chance to interview him uh, a few weeks ago. Ron said every relationship has to be a win-win. And I think that's what you're going with when you said that. I mean, you know, you can't just constantly beat them over the head and win all the time. Otherwise, they don't want to play with you anymore.
1: Yeah, I I have a lot of suppliers that tell me, and I know uh, that they will um they might not give quotes to some of our competitors because they're used to being uh you know bashed over the head and uh where well, we get the good quotes early and uh, and good service yeah that ma-
0: that matters and that's that's where that whole reputation thing comes in that's where the whole you know um yeah i want people to
1: want to sell the precon, and even um even in payment uh we typically we pay on time where I hear a lot of companies, you know, oh, stretch your payables to 45 days and you'll be able to pocket another, uh, you know, quarter percent. Or, And I think, no, I when I call a supplier in a critical moment, I want to be the first
0: in line. Yeah, that's just great. Love, love that. And, and, and I think it's so true because you're right. People take these payments out. I mean, why not pay them on time? And, you know, I, I know it's I know you're not allowed to use this this word in business, but I'm a karma person, right? I mean, you know, you treat them right; it's gonna come it's gonna come back to you. So, and 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 just for the record, I'm happy to hear part of the kitchen cabinet, but Dan, And I know you know this, but I'm gonna go ahead and make it official right here, where we're ta- when we're taping. You were definitely in my kitchen cabinet. Really appreciate it. And you know what's neat? That's part of your leadership legacy, right? Influencing not only other lives but my life as well. And I just really appreciate you you for that. So. So all right. So, what one piece of advice? I, I'm I'm excited to hear this answer. What one piece of advice would you give your 20 year old self, and why? Oh boy, a piece of advice
1: for my 20 year old self. Part um, I, I was wasn't expecting this one. <laughs> Let me think about that. Um, piece of advice I would give to my 20 year old
0: self. Um, Keep it clean.
1: Yeah, of course, of course. Piece of advice I would give to my 20-year-old self. Well, advice, I'm, I'm trying to, it's easier to give advice to others, and, and giving advice to yourself is a really difficult one. Um, you know, I, I would say um, maybe learn to to enjoy life a little more, maybe, um, spend more, you know, quality time or fun time, uh, with family and friends rather than, um, trying to constantly, uh, have a reason for, you know, furthering your education or your, your goals in every moment. So maybe just being able to relax and enjoy the moments, um, at that
0: age you know that goes back to that that um robert hastings right that the there is no one station the journey is the joy and to make sure that you stop and enjoy it along the way so i I, uh appreciate that and i I think that would be one of the things that i would tell myself back in you know my 20 year old self um so for these next questions uh, can you put your pre-can pre-con hat on uh so more tactical ceo type leadership questions so when faced with two equally qualified candidates, how do you decide whom to hire? Uh,
1: I, I think of who do I want representing the company? Uh, that's my, my first thing. Who, who, who do I want representing the company? And I, and I think the other factor is the, is the level of appreciation that the individual has. Um, we can all uh, learn uh a task or, or a job. Uh, we can all learn facts and, but it's really hard to, to train that other quality of, of, um, going to a company and, and being invited into a company if, as a salesperson. Um, you know, if you're a salesperson where they won't open the door for you to come in and talk, then, uh, it's going to be hard to be effective. So yeah, I think it's appreciation and, uh, Maybe even this sounds kind of shallow—a likability factor. If um, if somebody's not genuinely likable, uh, it's it's really hard to uh, you know to to represent uh, the company.
0: You know, I, I don't I don't think it's shallow. I think that it's realistic. I mean, you spend a lot of t- you spend a lot of time with these people, and so you know, just to be candid, who do you want to hang out with?
1: yeah you know yeah, you want to hang out with people that you
0: like and 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 and, and the being likable
1: quality is um yeah I've, the other night I was with uh, one of our customers and um, they asked uh, with a, you know I asked a lot of questions and I could tell this customer is a very likable person and um, and I'd introduced them to just some of my friends and uh, and that's the type of person that that had you know, it's a genuine interest in others and uh, somebody who listens.
0: Yeah, no, definitely. So how do you help a new employee understand the culture of your organization? How, how would you describe the culture of of Precon? You know, it, it, um, it is a family
1: run company. So, and, and there are a lot of, uh, family members, uh, that work within the company. Um, so not, not just from our family, but employees who have, you know, cousins and, and brothers that work here too. Um, so that, that's a challenge in itself because I, I understand somebody coming into the company, it's, it's going to be a hard uh, club to break into, and I'm aware of that. So there, there has to be it's, – it's something that I can't um, create for them. I can't um, make them fit in. So it's a little tough. It's like being a father and, and seeing your kid on the playground, uh, maybe not getting along too well, but in the end, that kid's going to have to figure out how to get along. And if they can't, there's going to be a real struggle. Um, so a lot of it is um, hopefully hiring the right person that you see can fit in.
0: Yeah. And and, and so, so with that in mind, so in that same vein, you have lots of family members involved. So how do you make sure things feel fair and equitable to all? And I'm talking about your employees. I'm sure you have to manage this feeling of nepotism. Yeah, and yeah for you'll nepotism have sake. maybe,
1: yeah, yeah, you have an individual who's in charge of a department and their cousin is in that department. But in the end, we have, you know, we have a hierarchy and um, and that reminders, everybody has to be pulling their weight. And um, if, if we see that something's not happening the way it should, um, then we have, uh, shifted people around, or we have removed people if if we feel that um, maybe they're relying too much on uh, the relation to to keep them uh, going. So,
0: and by the way, I I have appreciated that watching that over the years. I mean, everyone has to perform, and if you don't perform, then you know move on, and and that includes family. And it's nothing, no knock on them. I mean, I always say sometimes it's a relief for the family members to maybe get a chance to go do something that they really wanted to do as a field, you know, as, a, as opposed to being obligated to maybe be part of the, of the business.
1: Yes. No, I, yeah, that's, that's true. And, and, and a lot of um, family members that, that work at the company too, there's a, there's a real sense of, um, there's a peer pressure here to do well and to pull your own weight. And so that's, that's something that, um, you know, if somebody is, uh, is lacking or maybe not, doing what they should be doing, there's kind of a natural tendency for the organization to to, to move them along and to, to prod them to do better.
0: Yeah, no, that's good. And and, and so, so what, from a leadership perspective, what are the most important decisions you make as a leader of your organization? And do you think, and just really listen to this, because I'm curious to get your, and think, think this one through, do you think it's related to strategy, finance, or people, and why?
1: Well, I think it's it's related to people because you're hiring uh, the people and you're setting the tone for the company, and they're the ones. I can't control everything that an employee says to a customer or to a supplier, but I can pick the right person that I have the confidence that will say the right thing and, and behave the right way. Um, I'd say that the, the second is a strategy, the, the overall strategy, and that's, that's being deeply involved in the industry and, um, taking the time to go to the conventions and to, to be involved. Um, you know, a lot of people look at some of those conventions as, oh, it's a waste of time. Why would you want to travel to Austin, Texas and spend three days with, you know, people doing precast concrete? Well, uh, it's, it's amazing what you learn throughout the industry, what's happening in, in the you know, future trends, uh, that, it can yeah, tip you off to to you know what's what's coming down the, the road. So, I'd say the overall strategy would be the second. On the financial side, that's something that um, you obviously have to be looking at the numbers on a regular basis. But I've noticed surprisingly, if you're taking care of, of people in the overall strategy, um, the numbers tend to look decent. for pretty good.
0: Yeah, and and that's and that's because you have your pulse on on. Ron Bailey, I always say, you know, there's a, there's all kinds of laundry, you know, companies and vending companies and gas stations and, you know, all these different things. There's a lot of competition in every field, but there's always place in any market for, you know, a good company with good people, with good pricing, with good strategy. You know, we, we, in other words... Everything's a competition, but then you have to separate yourself from the herd. And and I think that you've done that within you know getting to know some of your employees and the the attitude within the company. I mean, you've done a great job of that. So I appreciate that perspective. So speaking of that, come on, let's remember back to when we were in college. I mean, we would dream about being successful and leaving a legacy. And at this point, I'd like to switch gears a little bit. We focused on the learning part of the podcast and the leadership part of the podcast, but now from a legacy perspective, uh, you know. What do you think your role is to continue the vision that was started by your family, by your father?
1: You know, I, I think the role is as um, consider it more as a, as a caretaker, um, that somebody I have received a great legacy in what my father did here at precon products. and um, and that even continues. He passed away in eighty seven. I still have people within the industry that remember him fondly. Um, and so that's something I always want to conduct myself in that way where, you know, my children or my, my nephews or whoever happens to be here at Precon in the future um, can look back and say, this company with, with Dan involved uh, went to new heights and um, has maintained its reputation or built its reputation.
0: Yeah, and you and you should be proud of that. Do you feel like you have? And I, I think I know the answer to this because it's from my perspective, from an outsider looking in. But do you feel like you've met, exceeded, or underperformed your father's expectations for the business?
1: Oh, I, you know, it's it's funny. My my, my father, I think in probably 1984, 85, he he talked about um, maybe selling the company or or, or moving on. He, um, I think he would. Fairly impressed where Precon is today. Um, His aspirations. He uh, he, very different background, um, of course, than than many of us have had. He he grew up in the Depression. His father passed away when he was twelve. He fought in World War II and worked his way up through this building, this this company.
0: Um, By the way, your dad was a stud. I mean, and he was a good looking. I mean, just rugged. Looked like he could be on the on the front of a magazine, didn't he? <laughs> yeah. I mean, he really yeah. did.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, I think uh, you know. P- Pardon me, would he might he he might say, "Play oh, the the you know the stress of pre-con or what you have there is that really uh, what you want to be doing?" So, he, he might have a little bit of uh, that, like, "Okay, why why are you doing this?" So, you know, what sometimes things drive us maybe further than than what we really aim for. But, uh, so yeah, I, I think he'd be, uh, I think he would be happy with where Precon is today.
0: Yeah. I I think he'd be proud too. I think he'd be proud of the leadership that, that the whole family has provided and, and taking it to the next level. What's, um, what's the best business or life advice that you'd give your kids or grandkids? You know, I, um,
1: I had this conversation, uh, with my, uh, middle child, uh, about a year ago, it was when you look at the effort you've made in anything, in this case, it happened to be uh, academics. um, Can you look back and honestly say to yourself that that was your best effort? And um, I think it's reminding yourself if, if you can do better, you should have done better and just keep, keep that in mind.
0: Yeah, and then and then no regrets, right? You know, just yeah,
1: hopefully, hopefully, no regrets. And um, yeah, but I, I think um, you know a lot of people if they um, if they fall short in, in something, they could say, "Well, I just don't have that ability, or I don't have the intelligence to accomplish this task." And I go back to I think you do. I mean, mo- most people have it within them to. To really excel and achieve it just comes down to did they really put the effort in or did they somehow short circuit themselves
0: yeah there's a great saying it's not that it's not that we set our goals too high and we miss it; it is that we set them too low and achieve it right there you leave so much on the table so what's what's left that you still want to accomplish do you feel like you have any any unfinished business to this point or is it just beginning no
1: it's, it's just beginning uh, for for pre-con um we've developed a, a product and we've patented it for a stormwater detention system. Um, and we have hopes to take it nationwide.
0: Oh, that's exciting. So
1: we're, yeah, we're on the verge of we feel of something that's, uh, going to be uh, very successful.
0: Yeah, no, that's, that, that's exciting. So you, so I love that you said just beginning, cause I, I think it's so true. Um, so much opportunity out there, especially like you said, when you have good people and you have a good strategy, um, so what would make you happier today? Oh, for, for pre-con, um, no, I'm talking about you, Danzy. Oh, okay, Danzy okay, and okay. Andy, what would make back. you happier today? <laughs> Taking
1: off the, the pre, the, uh, what would make me happy? have taken off the pre the
0: precon hat for a second. I want, I, I want, I want, <laughs> I want to go. You know,
1: I, I think for every parent, it's to see, uh,
0: your kids,
1: uh, content. And, um, so for me, that, that would be to see my kids, you know, excelling in life and, uh, continuing uh, the path that they're on. And, um, you know, as a parent of a second year student at uh, UC Irvine and a senior in high school and a freshman in high school, you know, there's still unfinished business. And, um, so I'd like to see them succeed. And that, that would be the ultimate for me.
0: Yeah, no, 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 I'm, I'm sure you, we all want that, don't we? I mean, you want that next generation to have it even better than you had it. And that's, I think that's goes on and on and on. Uh, you know, both of us believe in practice that businesses can create value for communities. And can you describe how your company adds value to society and the community in which it operates? Like what is the legacy that your business leaves?
1: You know, this, uh, this is a good question. There's, yeah, we've had a lot of discussions uh, about this, uh, even within our family, uh, I look at uh, the people here, you know, we employ 70 some uh, people and you look at when you give somebody a a place to come to work every day um, and you give them a sense of accomplishment and pride that they're doing it on their own through their efforts, Um, you're putting through their efforts, they're putting food on the table for their families. I I think that that is the best legacy uh, that you could give to society
0: yeah no, and and it's a self-worth, it's an appreciation, and, and you know maybe some people don't get that at home, and, and we get to be as business leaders that place, that place where they come where they're valued, challenged, appreciated on a regular basis.
1: yeah, if and, I, if I gave uh, one of my employees a, a ham for for Christmas, or you know it'd be my I'm giving them something. If they come in and put uh, effort in and work and earn a ham, that to them, it gives them so much more. So I think the most important thing is, is providing a safe, uh, place to come to work and a place that values them as, as individuals. And that spreads out through their, their families and their, all their relatives and, and you look at, um, all the people that depend on, on pre products, it's substantial.
0: And, you you know, it weighs on you, too. I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, I think about that all the time. Like, my decisions each day, series of decisions, you know, there are a lot of people that rely on me to make the right decisions. And I I feel that, and I'm sure you do as well.
1: Yeah, and a lot of people, a lot lot of other uh, family members uh, out there of of employees that uh, rely on you providing uh, them with a safe, their their father or or husband, a safe place to come to work and um, provide.
0: So, so how, so through all that though, how do you maintain work-life balance? Like when, when family is involved in both, how do you, how do you maintain that balance? Yeah, I, I think it really
1: has to be a conscious effort because the, the company, you can, we can all spend 24 hours a day, seven days a week, uh, working uh, on our companies. Uh, and so I think it has to be, you have to constantly remind yourself, um, that you know like we weren't created uh for the company you know it should be you got to flip that around a bit and realize this this company is a tool to provide a good uh standard of living or livelihood for everybody involved and um and if that starts to overwhelm uh the private life then you know it it could be uh, an unhealthy uh, relationship
0: that's a great perspective, and I actually appreciate. It. And I think my listeners will appreciate that too, because, uh, you know, you're right. We we get too locked in, and we're there all the time. We forget what's the most important. And I always say that, you know, to these CEOs when I'm talking to them, that hey, I have a strong feeling when the che- checks stop coming, those people will stop coming too. And who we? Well, I, like? I
1: always joke with my employees that even if I couldn't pay them, they would still want to come here and hang out with me. Yeah, <laughs> And surprisingly, they agree with me.
0: Yeah. Hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. Don't get too full of yourself, Dan Zarinadia. <laughs> but but so, so let's let's go back to family for a second. You, you have this incredible wife, Jenny, three great kids. You know, how do you and Jenny raise three level-headed kids with all the demands on your time and and, and the financial success? I mean, they're not hurting, you know. So how do you do that? How do uh, both of you do it? You, well, for,
1: for one, uh, yeah, Jenny, Jenny didn't grow up in, um, you know, of wealthy, uh, circumstances. Um, so she, she had to work from a very young age, about 14 years old. She was, um, providing for herself. So, you know, she has an appreciation, uh, for, for the work, you know, work ethic. So I think the critical thing for me is, is, uh, raising our kids to have a work ethic. And um, I let go of, we had a gardener about, uh, 12 years ago and I let him go. And, um, you know, my kid at the time was around, uh, about seven years old. And I said, you're going to start mowing the lawn and edging and doing work, uh, around the house. (laughs) And so I think that work ethic and helping them realize that this is not a sure thing, um, that it, it's going to need them to uh, make that effort. Yeah. No. And, um, and so once they make the effort, um, they they appreciate obviously what they've earned. And uh, oldest son has worked here at Precon. Uh, the the middle one uh, worked as a waiter uh, at a restaurant uh, on the beach over the summer and earned uh, more money than the son who worked here at Precon.
0: So. You know, it, I, I think everyone should be a waiter or waitress or busboy in a restaurant, because what you learn early on in life is that there's two types of people. There are people that are really happy, and there are people that are never going to be happy.
1: Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Yeah, my son would come home with the most incredible stories. And, he, and his, the restaurant he worked at, it was uh, Paradise Cove in, in Malibu. Um, There were people from all over the world. So he had to interact with um, yeah, everybody. And... Um, but he did did very well, and so I, I think it's 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 helping them remain well grounded. It's not buying them the thirty thousand dollar car. It's letting them buy the you know two thousand dollar car and and have them make an effort to keep it running and take care of it. So, and in the future, you know, if they burn the money, they can they can buy a nicer car. But that's that type of.
0: Yeah, no, no, I appreciate that. And I'm sure, again, our listeners will appreciate that perspective. So I, b- I believe we all ought to go through life with one hand extended up for help from those who maybe are a little further along than us in life, and maybe one hand extended down to help others who are go- you know, coming along in life behind us. Can you name a person who has had a significant impact on you as a leader, maybe a mentor, someone who offered that hand down to you, and maybe describe this person, their relationship?
1: Yeah. You know, I'd, I'd say, um, one of our employees, uh, gentleman Herbie Hicks, my father hired him in 1966 and he retired, um, about seven years ago. And, uh, yeah, I've known him my whole life actually before I was born, he was working here at Precon products. And, uh, he was one of our crane truck drivers, uh, most intelligent man I ever met. And, um, he had a genuine love of this company and the people in it, um, and so I, I looked at how he interacted with people, and um, and I spent a lot of time talking with him uh, after after a load and just um, kind of
0: downloading all of his wisdom. And was it was it book smarts? Was it street smarts? What was it? No, it was a, It was just a. It was a wisdom.
1: It was a uh, knowledge of people um, and, uh, and just a, a, somebody very, very observant. And uh, he, I credit him with helping uh, get Precon through the really difficult times in the early 90's. And I, I came back. I, you know, I was away uh, at the time and I was brought back. We were meeting with uh, bankruptcy attorneys at the time to, uh, at the time to look at some different options. And I went to Herbie and, and asked him, what would you do if you were me? You know, what, what needs to be done here? And he set the path and I followed through. Yeah. So, well, wow. that's yeah. Yeah, no. yeah. You never, you never know where, where are the mentors going to be? It's, you know, it's, it's not going to be uh, it's not always going to be the president of some university. That's uh, your mentor. It it could be, um, it could be anybody. Um, and as long as that person, uh, you know, cares for you and and seeks the best for you. That's, you know, who you should be listening to.
0: And that's where the kitchen cabinet comes in. You know, you just surround surround yourself with the right people and 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 open your mind to the fact that yes, yeah, what I love about groups like Vistage and YPO. You know, they're they by even joining these groups, they these CEOs, these leaders, they admit that they don't have all the answers because none of us do, do we? And so it's just you know admitting that and and saying, hey. You know, can I get better? Can I be a lifelong learner? And and I love that you were able to sit with him and and learn from him and and get that wisdom.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah.
0: So so in that same vein, and I will end with this question, Dan Zirnandia. I ask audiences um, when I speak to answer this question. I'll talk about legacy and 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 I'll say so. You know, for those of you who have children, use use this question. For those of you who don't, just insert friends or family or neighbors or whatever. But I ask them this question. How will your children describe you to their children? You know what was Grandpa really like? And so you know, and, and some of them may say, "Well, I don't know, he was never around." Or, "Man, he loved me more than you could ever know." Or, "You know, he was always believed in me and who I." So, what will your legacy be, Dan Zernandia? In your wi- not what they would say, in your wildest fantasy of fantasies, how would you want to be described?
1: I would like to be described as. Um, Someone who loved people and was honest and uh, had a good work ethic. Just the real basic, uh, basic elements.
0: Yeah, and, and you know what's interesting, though, to, to, to get somebody to say that. Now I want my listeners to really listen to this for a second. To get them to say you love people, what do you have to do? You have to have a lifetime of loving people. You know, to get, to give them to say you worked hard, a lifetime of working hard. Uh, you know, so so it this isn't just like you know what was I doing six years ago on a weekend? Do you remember that? No, you know, this is this is investing, in 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 the people and letting them see that you know that's what you've done in your entire life. So I really appreciate that answer and and appreciate you, Dan. I want to thank you for your time today. Uh, thanks for a window into what it takes to lead a successful family-owned business. I know it's a delicate balance. I'm confident my listeners will walk away from this podcast with you, hopefully better equipped to tackle the challenges that leaders face every day as they, you know, lead their families and their businesses with greater impact, um, purpose, direction, and optimism. Thanks again, as always, for being a lifelong friend and talking with me today about expanding leadership. Thank you, Dan Zarinandia.
1: All right, this was fun. Yeah, Thank you, Dan. Good to
0: talk with you. I hope you enjoyed the show. Please remember to subscribe to the podcast. Don't just listen, subscribe. This will help others discover the show. And please, as a personal favor to me, write a review. When you subscribe to Garage to Goliath podcast and write a review, it boosts our ratings. Ratings in turn help others find this show. Please also share this podcast with friends and family so together we can expand leadership excellence.